Heavenly Father, as we come to this portion of your word tonight, we recognize that these are difficult words. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to to see your purpose, to understand your word, and to know your presence with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you do when someone is suffering? Maybe they've received bad news, they're in distress. How do you deal with that situation? Many of us, I suspect, want to help. We want to provide some comfort, but we just don't know what to do or how to do it. We're afraid of getting involved because we don't know what to say or how to say it. And so sometimes it's easier to back off and to say nothing. And to keep your distance. Or maybe we want to get offside fairly quickly. Not wanting to have to deal with someone else's grief. Because our own grief is so great. And what if, what if the person begins to speak. And a flood of words comes out. Some shocking things. Things we're not prepared for. Things we didn't expect to hear. As we come to Job chapter 3 tonight, this might be where we find ourselves. Listening in, not knowing quite what to do with Job's thoughts and feelings and words. We're caught adrift, taken aback. Or what if these words resonate with you? What if as you hear Job speaking you say, yeah, that's how I feel. His thoughts are my thoughts. Is it okay to feel like this? Is there a place for doubt and darkness and dismay in the Christian life? What I propose that we do tonight is is something that we're commanded to do in Romans chapter 12, which we've already used tonight. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We probably enjoy the rejoicing bit a lot better. It's better to go to a party than to a funeral. And yet we're called to weep with those who weep. Now just in case you uh, missed last week, Job uh, was a prosperous man, he was a righteous man, but in a series of disasters his uh, livestock were all killed or captured. His uh, ten children died in one moment. 
And now he's been covered from head to toe in loathsome sores. And as all that goes on, unknown to Job, God has been presenting him to Satan as a model believer. And so with God's permission, Satan has stripped away all that Job has in order to prove his faith. Or to see if he will still believe. Some writers have referred to this chapter as Job's Gethsemane. It's the place where Job is tested and on the surface it appears that he's found wanting. You remember last week that he said those words, The Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But now... There's complaint, there's despair rather than humble submission. So as we look at at Job's lament tonight, there are three main features. His, His birthday, his death day and his complaint against God. And as we look at these together, remember that these are the outpourings of a week of anguish. He has sat silently on the ash heap, scraping his sores with thoughts rushing through his mind. The anguish and helplessness building all the time. And then out it comes in chapter 3. So first of all, Job laments his birthday. Not in the way that some of us lament yet another birthday coming around with increasing age. But he laments the fact that he had a birthday at all. Notice the great raft of curses he lines up against the day of his birth. From verse 3 down to verse 9. Let the day perish. Let it be darkness, let gloom claim it. Darkness seize it, let it be barren, let it be darkness. Now why does he wish these terrible things against the day of his birth? Because he wishes that he had never been born in the first place. Despite a long and prosperous life with happy times and a happy home, When compared with that week of misery, he wishes he had never lived it at all. Despite the longest day of sunlight, the darkness of the night brings despair and dread. Everything fades into black and all Job can see now is the trouble he faces... And the trouble he feels in his loss and his suffering. The gloom of death would be preferable to the pain that he experiences. Or so he imagines. So he laments his birth. Second, we 
find Job's desire for death. From the ash heap, Job thinks that the grave would be a preferable position. Look at verse 21 uh, over the page. He says that it would be better uh, to die. That he would rather dig for it than for hidden treasures. Why is it that death seems like such an attractive relocation that he would rejoice exceedingly and be glad when he finds the grave? Well, for Job it appears to be, at verse 13, a a place of rest, a place of sleep, free from the pains and burdens he currently bears. He also says that death is the great leveller. Look at verse 19. The small and the great are there and the slave is free from his master. It's what uh, one writer calls the democracy of death. That kings and princes and prisoners and slaves, they're all there together in freedom and peace. Perhaps this was attractive to one who had been the greatest man in the east. And now he has lost everything. That longing for death is something that we still see in the movement for euthanasia or for assisted suicide. The debate still rages among politicians in Westminster and Stormont. You sometimes uh, see documentaries or Read newspaper stories of people who travel to Switzerland to end it all in their own time with medical assistance. But notice that Job never contemplates taking his own life. That suicide is not an option for him. And yet even as Job laments and lays out his complaint... There is a recognition that God is present in his circumstances. Look at verse 20. Why is light given to him who is in misery? Or again in verse 23. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? You see, even... As Job complains, he's aware that God is present. That it's God who has hedged him in. That it's God who is still giving light and life in the midst of this suffering. That remark about being hedged in by God seems to accuse God of being restrictive, almost besieging Job, trapping him within hedges. And yet do you remember last week in chapter 1 and verse 10, uh, Satan accuses Job, sorry, accuses God of hedging Job in, of being a protection and a guard for him. The hedge of protection has become for Job a prison wall. Is Job listening to the voice of demons, tormented by the half-truths being twisted 
to lead him astray. Job continues in his complaint against God with sighing and groanings instead of bread and water. Indeed, this appears to be what he feared all along. Verse 25, for the thing that I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. But even in the good days, he thought this will never last. That he would lose it all. He had a a, a dread of it being taken away. (coughs) Verse 26 is the final summation of his current complaint. Where his life is declared to be the exact opposite of how he imagines uh, the grave. I am not at ease, he says in verse 26. Whereas in verse 18... Uh, there the prisoners are at ease together. Verse 26, nor am I quiet. Verse 13, uh, the grave is a place of being quiet. I have no rest, he says in verse 26. But verse 17, there the weary are at rest. And he says in verse 26, but trouble comes. And look at verse 10. At nor hide trouble from my eyes. So what do you say to Job? How do we deal with his words here in chapter 3? As the flood of despair is unleashed. After a week of silence. I wonder do you want to run up to him and say don't worry Job everything's alright. We know how it turns out. Our advice to keep praying and keep trusting seems, seems almost trite. Almost superficial in the face of of what Job has said. You see from our privileged position as we watch Job. We have two advantages. We know how it ends up. Or at least you will do whenever you read through chapter 42. But we also know about the discussion in heaven. And Job knows nothing. Of all that. He is living it out. He is in the middle of it. He is saying what he sees. There are two things to immediately remember and hold on to as we deal with what Job says here. First of all, Job speaks of a man whose way is hidden. Verse 23. He says, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Now he could either mean hidden from God, his way is hidden from God, or it's hidden from himself. He can't see the way ahead. 
If it's hidden from God, then uh, it's because God doesn't seem to care anymore, that that God isn't watching him, that God uh, isn't looking out for him. God's absent and distant and unconcerned. But if he means a man's way hidden uh, from himself, if it's unknown, if he doesn't know uh, where he's going or why things are happening, then here is the very essence of what it means to be a Christian, to be a believer. We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't know what is around the corner. Otherwise it would be sight and not faith. You see, it's only through the hiddenness, through the afflictions that our faith is tested and proven. The very fact that we have light and life is the proof that God has not finished with us. That we walk by faith. And completely unscripted. I've been reminded of uh, that verse in 1 Peter 1. Peter says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith More precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. May be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The trials, the difficult circumstances that you have walked through, that you are walking through. Are there to show that your faith is genuine. To give honour and glory to our God. But the second thing to remember and hold on to. The first is we walk by faith not by sight. The second is to remember God's verdict of Job. Do you remember what he said about him last week? My servant Job. And again... In chapter 42, this is almost a spoiler alert. This is, you know, if you haven't seen Coronation Street and then someone else tells you what has happened in it. Or, you know, the ending of the movie that you've waited months and months to see. Uh, But in chapter 42, the very last chapter, when when God uh, appears and speaks to Job's friends and says, For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. And what that means is that Job's outpouring here is not sinful. But he has done nothing wrong in what he says here. That Job's salvation is not in doubt. So even the securest of saints may have a dark night of the soul while being firmly held in the hand of God. 
So how do we respond to Job? Next week, we'll explore the words and the help of his so-called comforters. But what about you? What would you say to Job after this outburst? Perhaps our wisest response in the immediate aftermath is to say nothing. Job's friends came and sat for a week and said nothing. And waited until Job was ready to say something. It's just when they open their mouth they get it wrong. But Romans helps us to weep with those who weep. To be there. To be with them. To pray for those who may be going through anguish. But also we can store up these words. And this concept of lament. Complaint towards God. For those times when we might need it. Those times when we will suffer. Job asks why. Why is light given? Why is death not given? And as we read those words from this side of Calvary, we see in Job's question the words of another sufferer. Who cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That cry of suffering, of God forsakenness, is shouted in the darkness. The Lord Jesus has plumbed the depths. Of our sorrows. He has endured the full weight of trouble, the restlessness of sin, to rescue us, to save us. Because of the abandoned one, we are never alone. He stands with us. In our suffering. There's a modern song. Which puts it like this. I'm forgiven. Because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. (coughs) Amazing love. How can it be. That you my king. Should die for me. Let's pray. Lord, as we 
hear your word as we deal with the suffering of Job, the emotions that that stirs within us. We ask that we would know your comfort. We pray that you would be near us. We pray that you would equip us to help uh, others who suffer. (coughs) We pray that your comfort would flow to us and through us. As we fix our eyes on Jesus. We pray this for his glory. (coughs) Amen.